The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the sixth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not store up treasures, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Christ. Last week, the boys and I took advantage of this very cold weather by snuggling in and watching over and over again both The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings trilogies. I have lost track of how many times we have watched these movies, but we always seem to notice something new. Even though we know how these movies end, we nevertheless love watching them over and over again. I am certain we are not the only people who rewatch favorite movies. Because all because you know how a story ends does not mean it's not still exciting. I mean, we know the story of Jesus, don't we? During Advent, we don't sit on the edge of our seats, wondering with fingers crossed if Jesus will be born this year. We know Jesus is born. None of us is surprised. And yet, Advent still remains a holy time to ponder what it means to have God come to earth wrapped in human flesh. We know how the Christmas story ends, yet every year we walk the familiar path and we relive the favorite story. 
same holds true for Easter. We know what's coming, and to pretend otherwise is silly. Most Christians know that during Lent, the church adorns herself in purple, the liturgical color during which uh, it is recalled the time when Jesus was given a purple robe, when he was mocked, given his robe along with a crown of thorns by Pontius Pilate when he was hailed King of the Jews, according to the book of Mark. Many know the readings that lie ahead of us these next six weeks. Jesus is baptized. He preaches and predicts his death and resurrection. He cleanses the temple. He enters Jerusalem to shouts of Hosanna and palm branches waving. He eats his last meal with his friends. He is betrayed by Judas. He is interrogated. He is tortured. He is crucified. It's not like we don't know what's coming. I am sure none of you listening at home in your seats just sat up and said, what? Jesus is crucified? Why didn't anyone tell me? We know this story. And yet, year after year, we do it again. We smear our foreheads with ashes again this year. We will hear the same stories over again as we did last year. We will wave palm branches again. We will sit vigil again during the three days. The only varying factor this year is that most of us are doing these things from home. But the story remains the same. We know this story. We live it. We breathe it. We know how the story ends, and we know it does not end on Good Friday. That might sound like an obvious observation. After all, we all know the story ends, or should I say, begins again on Easter Sunday, when Jesus breaks the chains of death, crushes hell forever, and alleluia's return to Mother Church. Even so, While we know the story does not end on Good Friday, sometimes we live as though it does. Sometimes we don't live like the Easter people that we are. Sometimes we don't live in the hope which our faith lays claim to. Sometimes we live like we don't know how this story ends and we descend into despair. Even though we weakly confess the destruction of hell, sometimes we very readily make it our home. In times of shadow, it's very easy to lose hope. In the movie, The Fellowship of the Ring, there's an interesting exchange between two characters, Aragorn and Boromir. Aragorn begs Boromir to rest, assuring him that he is safe. But Boromir protests and says, I will find no rest here. Some speak of hope, but I cannot see it. It is long since we have had any hope. Taking care not to give away the end of the movie, lest this sermon inspire you to watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy immediately following this Ash Wednesday service, suffice it to say that hope is restored in Middle-earth. And yet, there are times 
when Boromir's words ring true in my heart. There are times when I also feel it is long since there has been any hope. There is no shortage of examples to point to. Sometimes personally, I feel it when my own anxiety consumes me. Sometimes I feel it when I read about the state of our planet Earth. Sometimes I feel it when I read about genocide and war and giant refugee camps. Sometimes I feel it when I consider the divided state of our country. We certainly all feel it when a return to post-pandemic normalcy seems to get pushed further and further into the future. Sometimes we forget how the story ends and we settle ourselves quite comfortably, if not miserably, into Good Friday. But we are not Good Friday people. We are not people who believe in a God who leaves us in hell. We are not a people who believe in a God who desires division and destruction and disease. We are not Good Friday people. We are Easter people. And we believe in a God who not only desires life for all people, but abundant life. We are a people who believe in a God who has crushed eternal hell so that even though we might walk through hell temporarily, we know that hell is not forever. The story does not end with eternal hell and death. No, we know how this story ends. We do not sit on the edge of our seats wondering with crossed fingers if this year Jesus will be resurrected from the dead. We are not suddenly surprised that the tomb is empty. We are not shocked when Mary turns to find herself face to face with the newly resurrected Jesus that first Easter morning, crying in confusion and gasping the words, My Lord and my God. The ending of the Easter story is the beginning of the story of everlasting life and redemption for all creation. For the first time in my life, I did not participate in Holy Week last year. Last year, I preached my Monday Thursday sermon at my kitchen table and sent my recording to Doug Brown, but that was it. My colleagues graciously released me from my worship responsibilities because Christian was sick. This was only weeks after everything had shut down due to COVID. Christian had come home one afternoon with a fever and body aches and severe fatigue. COVID tests were hard to come by then, and he did not qualify for one because he was too young. As a small child, he had had asthma. And the early cases of COVID were all traced back to people with respiratory disease, so I panicked. So we did all that we were told to do and quarantined him in the basement for two weeks. This was particularly difficult because Doug had to move into a hotel because he is immunocompromised. Over the course of two weeks, Christian chatted with his brothers by sitting on a chair at the bottom of our stairs while they sat on the top stair. They sometimes played catch that way. They would watch the same movie at the same time on two different TVs, one upstairs, one downstairs, and text one another during the movie. Jacob and Philip would sometimes roll snacks down the stairs for Christian to retrieve. 
They would also sit outside at the top of his bedroom egress window and chat with him through his open window. They fashioned masks out of t-shirts and wore football helmets and Halloween masks, sunglasses, and double layers of bathrobes and winter gloves to take meals to Christian on trays, sometimes forcing him to yell, unclean, as they descended the stairs. What I remember most clearly was, whatever this new virus was, it took one of the healthiest athletes I knew, a teenage boy who would run a half marathon at the drop of a hat and sucked every ounce of energy out of him, so much so that he needed help sometimes getting into the shower or into bed. The UIHC COVID hotline had immediately instructed me to honor Christian's isolation as well, except to take him food and record his temperature, and I agreed, knowing full well that I was lying. I was scared that something would happen during the middle of the night, and he would not have the strength to even text me for help. And so I slept on the downstairs couch for the first few nights and the rest of the nights on the floor outside of his bedroom. Last year, on the night of April 11th, which was Holy Saturday, the night before Easter, I curled up on the floor outside of his room and I fell asleep. I had a horrible nightmare that Christian had tried to call out for help but couldn't breathe and so no one came and he died. I woke up in a state of absolute panic. I remember being barely able to open the door to his room, wondering what I would find, wondering if my nightmares would be realized. Instead of discovering my worst fear, I found Christian sitting on the edge of his bed playing guitar. Hey, Mom, is all he said. That's all he said, but to me, it was the most brilliant and profound Easter message I've ever heard. Those two words, hey, mom, were more thunderous to me than the entire angelic host singing Gloria in the night skies when Jesus was born. I expected the worst and found the best. That will forever remain my strangest and most favorite Easter, dampened only by the fact that Doug could not be there. Instead of the usual packed morning of church-related things, I sat in my pajamas with my boys for the first time ever since they were born on Easter morning at the kitchen table and presided over communion for four while Jake and Philip kicked each other under the table and Christian texted them insults from the adjacent screened-in porch. To settle into your spot on the floor on the wrong side of a door, to fear for the life of a loved one so much that the sleeping brain is ravaged by nightmares, to panic because you have no control over what is happening to the world and to your family. To be separated from your beloved, even though it is the smart thing to do. To know that Easter is happening 
but you do not give a damn is to live in Good Friday. But the story did not end there for me last year. The story of Jesus never ends on Good Friday. As a born and bred Lutheran, I know the words we say on Easter are, He is risen. But for me, the words will always be, Hey, Mom. The words might be different, but the story is the same. One worth remembering and reliving year after year. We cling to hope knowing in six weeks at the end of this familiar Lenten story that we will peer into the tomb and instead of finding death we will find life because we know this is how the story ends. Amen.